Well, friends, it is uh, always a joy for me to come here to be able to preach God's word uh, to you at Hope. Uh, I've, I've cherished my friendship with your pastors uh, over the years. I'm so glad you're, you're giving Pastor Steve a sabbatical. I, I, I enjoyed a sabbatical this summer uh, with, uh, my, with me and my family, and it was just uh, well needed. Uh, came back really refreshed, and I do pray the same thing for Steve uh, when he comes back. Um, and I, you know, over the years, I've grown such a respect for all of you, uh, just for, you, for your commitment to gospel-centered ministry, uh, your commitment to global missions, all that you've done in that area, and of course, just the missional living that you're doing here in the city of Houston. Uh, so I, I, I praise God, and, I, and we pray for you um, regularly over at Houston Chinese Church. Uh, we, we pray for this church uh, because we, we are just so glad to have a like-minded church that is doing the same work of the gospel uh, here on the other side of town, uh, here over in the, uh, the Jersey Village area. It's, it's great to know that uh, we're all on the same team, on the same mission. Well, friends, this evening, I have the joy of preaching to you out of the Gospel of Luke. And as we have just heard out of Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, we are introduced to two women, two sisters, Martha and Mary. And they are hosting Jesus, and they are both practicing hospitality in their own way. They're preparing a feast for him and and for his disciples as they're passing through town. But as we're going to see... As we look at this text, we're going to see how a beautiful act of service can quickly sour. What what begins as something all about Jesus, all about serving others, it can just turn on a dime and suddenly be about you. And that's exactly what happened to Martha here in this story. And really, it could happen to all of us. We can be just so busy serving Christ that we end up losing sight of Christ himself. And I, I know what's that, what that's like. I, I've been there plenty. I mean, I, I've been uh, in pastoral ministry for about 20 years now. And in that time, I have definitely gone through some seasons. Seasons where I, I'm dutifully serving the Lord. I mean, I'm there. I'm present. I'm doing my thing. I'm actively engaged. I'm committed to ministry. But to be honest, I've really lost sight of Christ. I'm more focused on how I'm serving than on whom I'm serving. I'm focused on the quality of my ministry instead of the object of my ministry. And when that happens, I, I, I see and I notice within myself my focus shifting, shifting to, to my needs, shifting to my, my preferences or to my disappointments when my expectations are not met. So instead of serving out of faith and serving out of love, I, I end up doing it out of resentment maybe or self-pity. And that, of course, is not a healthy place to be. But sadly, that's a common place to be, especially for those of us who are very active and involved in the church. You're so busy serving for Jesus that you've been distracted from Jesus. Now, maybe, friends, you can relate to that, or at least you can, you can see yourself potentially moving into that unhealthy direction. So thankfully, thankfully we have a text this evening that addresses this very situation. But um, there's a point of clarity that I think I should make right up front. I I think the story of of, uh, Martha and Mary, I'm I'm sure it's familiar to most of you, I, I think it's often read as a rebuke of those who are very active and busy serving in ministry. And the application that we often hear is that you just need to cut back. 
You just need to cut back and, and you need to serve less so that you could pray more or you could study more. And so what happens is that, the, is that the devotional life gets presented as being more superior to the active life. But I honestly think that's a false dichotomy. Devotional study and practical service, I believe, are both important in the Christian life. But one is more foundational to the other. And that's the lesson that Martha in particular had to learn. Jesus wasn't at all condemning the effort that she was trying to give, but he, but he was greatly concerned that out of all of her serving, as beautiful as it was in itself, it was being done at the expense of sitting under God's word, at the expense of her devotional life. And I think that's the problem. Being with Jesus and listening to him is foundational if you're going to serve him. Your devotional life and your active life, let's, let's just be clear, are equally important, but it's your devotional life that is going to serve as the foundation. It's going to be the base for all that you do for Christ. So as we're going to walk through this text, as we're looking at the text, I really hope we begin to examine our hearts. Because our, our hands are going to be necessary for a service, but friends, it's our hearts that are foundational. Our heart attitude is foundational. So what I want to do uh, as we walk through this, this short text is to show you three things, three things about our hearts. First, I want to show you the beauty of a hospitable heart. Second, the souring of a distracted heart. And third, we're going to consider the priority of a devoted heart. All right, so let's start by considering the beauty of a hospitable heart. You know, I think too many times this story is taught in such a way as to make Martha look pretty bad. Like she's treated as if she's the foil in this story, there to make Mary look so, so good, look so much better. But I really don't think that's Luke's intent at all. So I, I want to begin by highlighting the beautiful, hospitable hearts of both sisters. Now, our story begins with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He's stopping by the town of Beth Bethany. So let me just read verse 38 again. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. All right, now, just think about how much effort would have been involved in Martha's um, attempt to, to host Jesus. I mean, hosting Jesus is really no small matter here because by this point in the gospel, he is becoming well-known. He is this great teacher that everyone's hearing about. He's this worker of miracles and signs and wonders. So crowds are at this point following him wherever he goes. And so welcoming Jesus into your house, it's not like asking you know, a close friend of yours to come on over for dinner and you're just gonna heat up some leftovers or, or call for takeout. I mean, in this case, you are, Martha is, is basically having a special guest of honor into her home who's going to be bringing along 12 of his closest friends, and there's probably going to be a crowd of people waiting outside. So what Martha is trying to do for Jesus, is, it's a big effort, and it's a big, beautiful effort. She is stewarding the gifts that God has given her. She is living out 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9 to 10, quote, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it 
Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so friends, I think Martha's heart is in the right place. She's trying to live out the word. She's trying to use the gifts God has given her. And when it comes to serving Jesus, he, she knows that he deserves wholehearted effort. Not, not, not half-hearted, lukewarm effort. No, going all out, holding nothing back. And that, that's Martha. Her generous hospitality probably explains why Jesus visits her home more than once. I mean, he's come, he comes back to her home a number of times as recorded in the Gospels. So that's, that's Martha. That's how she responds when Jesus comes to town. Now let's consider Mary. She has a way of welcoming Jesus, but different than her sister, and is equally beautiful. Mary's welcome of Jesus has less to do with what she can do for Jesus and more about what Jesus can do for her. She welcomed Jesus by welcoming his words, by treating his words as the words of eternal life. So listen to verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now you have to understand that in those days, sitting at a rabbi's feet that was a posture taken on by a formal, 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 former, formal disciple. So like, someone who's, who's not just, you know, just, you know, someone committed to following this rabbi. So here is Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. She's listening. She's learning. She's taken on the role of a disciple. And you have to understand how unusual that would have been in those days for any rabbi to accept formerly a, a female disciple. I mean, that was highly unconventional. If she had just been part of the crowds following Jesus, well, okay, that, that wouldn't have raised an eyebrow. If she had joined the group of women that, that were told about, who followed uh, the disciples and, and ministered personally to the disciples and to Jesus, well, then that would have been considered acceptable. That would have, that would have been wonderful if she joined that group of women. Choosing the role of host in this situation, like Martha, well, that, that would have been expected. But for Mary to choose the role of disciple, to sit down and to learn alongside men, well, that was the break from social norms. So, some rabbis wouldn't have permitted, they, they would have permitted a woman uh, to study the Torah, but they would have um, prohibited a woman from receiving any formal instruction. So you could do it on your own, but you can't do it with us, with the rest of the men and me to be your, to be your rabbi. And so now you see Jesus behaving in such a, such a different and, and, and intriguing way. He, he's acting differently than other rabbis. And, and we see that. We, we see that often in the way that Jesus carries himself, that he is not afraid at all to confront cultural norms that conflict with God's created order. So right before our passage, he told the famous uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. And there he is pushing ethnic and cultural boundaries, right? He's calling Jews and Samaritans to treat each other as neighbors. And that, of course, was, was radical in his day. That was pushing against some norms. And so, of course, it's not surprising here that Jesus, is, Jesus in the next passage would gladly receive at his feet a female disciple. And so, friends, I think we need to really imitate our Lord here, and we need to push back against any cultural stereotypes that conflict with God's created order. I, I think it's sad that, that too many churches are, are still perpetuating the stereotype of, women, of women's ministries 
that are just so light on teaching, light on, on Bible study, and, and heavy on, on sharing and crafts. You know, and, and if they organize activities, it's, they're usually hospitality or service-oriented and, and, and not really activities that are encouraging women to learn theology or equipping them to rightly handle God's Word. I, I think not enough churches are creating the kind of culture where older women are spurred on and equipped to teach and to train up younger women like, we're, like they're being instructed to in Titus chapter 2. I think that's a beautiful thing if we see this, this type of ministry happening in our churches. And so that, I think that's really what a healthy biblical church is going to look like, where, where women are emulating both Martha and Mary, where they have hospitable hearts that welcome Jesus through practical acts of service and through the personal study of Scripture and the learning of theology and passing it on to others. And so that's, that's what we see here. And like I said, I, I just kind of wanted to begin by, by affirming a person like Martha, affirming really any of us, whether we're male or female, anyone who more closely identifies with Martha. Her instinct to welcome Jesus through practical acts of service, as we said, is, is not wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't misguided. And, but the attitude that she developed, now, now that's what's problematic. And this is really an all too common problem for those of us who, who like Martha, are, are, are more are wired to be really hard workers, you know, who, who are the ones, if you're like me, I mean, I, I admit this is me and this might be you as well, always the ones serving in the church. I mean, before I started working in the church, that was my attitude as well, you know, getting involved as, as much as I could, actively helping out and serving in ministry. The problem is, the problem is that our service can be conducted in a way that can turn our hospitable hearts sour. And that's going to be our second consideration here. The souring of a distracted heart. So let's go back and, and let's look at the text again. Look at verse 40. Let me read that to you once more. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to, to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now notice it says here in the text that Martha was distracted. And that word for distracted conveys the idea of, of being pulled or, or drawn away from one thing to another. And so Martha was, was trying, like her sister, to, to, she was trying to listen to Jesus' teaching, but she was pulled away and she was drawn away from Jesus' words by much serving. Or that could also be translated as much ministry. So she was distracted from Jesus with doing much ministry. Wow, when you put it that way, I think some of us can relate to that. Being distracted from Jesus because we're doing so much ministry. Martha allowed serving Christ to distract her from enjoying Christ. She was doing so much for Jesus, she lost sight of Jesus, more focused again on her quality of service rather than on the very one she was meant to serve. And that happens just so easily. We get involved in ministry, we get involved in service, and we do it with the best of intentions. We start serving in, in, in the children's ministry. We start leading a, a home group. We get deeply invested in some ministry, serving the city, or we're, we get really busy serving on that board for that nonprofit. And soon enough, serving Christ becomes a distraction from enjoying Christ. 
We get so busy with ministry, doing things for Jesus, but we lose sight of him. We no longer prioritize reading his word. We're no longer prioritizing listening to his word being preached. You know, being a student of scripture just takes a back seat because we just don't have the time. So busy serving. And the the danger of this kind of distraction in ministry is that it often results in a souring of our attitude towards ministry. When we lose sight of Christ in our serving, our attention, it begins to turn inward and it gives way to self-pity, to resentment, especially when we start feeling like we're being overlooked or we're being underappreciated. You can just hear the self-pity and resentment in Martha's own words in verse 40. I mean, she's frustrated with her sister for not helping. She's left me to serve alone. And then she's frustrated with Jesus for not correcting Mary. Do you not care? Do you not care, Lord? See, when, when, you get distract, when you get distracted from the real person that you're serving, and when you start to focus and, and, and get fixated on the how and on the how much that you're doing compared especially to others, then it's easy to begin to feel very sorry for yourself. You're doing so much more than those people. You, 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 they're not carrying their weight. And, and if you keep dwelling on that, then you're going to lose sight of Christ, and you, you're going to start getting fixated on, on what you're not getting. And that's how you grow resentful towards other people that, that might be in the church, but that, to other people that you might be serving with. Why don't they share the same priorities as me? How, how come more people aren't volunteering in, in these ministries that I, I feel like are so important, the ministries that, that I'm, I'm leading or I'm involved in? How come they're not supporting these important causes? It's easy to get frustrated that not enough priority is being given to the ministries that you're so passionate about. Friends, if, if you can relate to any of that, you can relate to those feelings, could it be, could it be that you're getting distracted right now? Distracted from the word. Distracted by all the busyness of serving. Could it be that you've begun to neglect God's word to some degree in your life? And at first, it may not seem like much of a difference, What difference is it if I'm just spending just a little less time in the Bible or or a little less time in prayer or or I'm I'm a little less regular in sitting under the teaching and preaching of God's word? What does it matter? I mean, what difference does it make, especially if I'm using that time to serve God? If I'm really busy, then at least, hey, at least I'm really busy doing ministry. I'm not wasting my, my time on worldly pursuits, on mindless entertainment entertainment. I'm serving God, right? Is it really that big of a deal? But the more distracted and disconnected you are from an abiding relationship with Christ, the sooner resentment and self-pity is just going to start creeping up into your heart. And you're going to find it so much easier to find fault in other people for, for what they're doing, or especially for what they're not doing that you think they should be doing in serving alongside you in ministry. So friends, in in the busyness of ministry, be careful to not crowd out the ministry of God's word. I think that's Jesus' explicit warning to Martha. She wanted to listen to Jesus just like her sister, but she was distracted with much ministry. And again, the problem is not the ministry. The solution is not to just stop serving other people and to just focus on, on reading your own Bible and just, just do private study, private devotion. No, it's not about choosing one over the other. Serving others in the name of Christ is good. It is, it is pleasing to the Lord. 
But listening to Jesus and worshiping him, that's foundational. It's like how the roots of a tree are foundational to all of the the branches and especially to the fruit. The roots and the fruits are both important, we would agree. You need both. A healthy tree needs both. But there is a clear priority between the two. If you just spend all your time tending to the fruits, to the fruits of a tree, neglecting the roots, well, that's just a recipe for disaster. In short order, the the roots are going to grow unhealthy and all the fruit is going to sour. So enjoying your relationship with Christ, tending to his word, sitting under his word, word with full attention and full submission, well, that's like tending to the roots of your faith. Neglect to do so because you're just so busy picking the fruits. Well, that's just setting yourself up for failure down the road. Be careful. Be careful to not get so busy with ministry that you end up crowding out the ministry of God's word. This is why, this is why scripture warns us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, to not neglect meeting together, to sit under the teaching and preaching of God's word together, as is the habit of some. My friends, let me just make a a pointed application here. I know there are some among you who are unable to to regularly be in this service, to regularly be sitting under biblical preaching, not out of a sinful neglect at all, but because they are right now actively serving in the nursery and the children's ministry, taking care of your children so that you can be here to sit under God's word. And they're there teaching your children God's word. And that's a beautiful thing. But what I want to do is I want to challenge some of you, especially those of you who have never served in that kind of a ministry, to consider getting involved, to give some of these longstanding volunteers of yours a well-deserved break, or at least to, to, to increase that pool of volunteers that you guys are drawing from so that, so that no volunteer helping out with the children has to miss too many Sundays in a month so that they too can be like Mary regularly sitting under God's word. That, my friends, is something that you're going to need to do together to bear each other's burdens, serving alongside each other so that everyone can be able to prioritize God's word. And this clear priority of word ministry leads us to our third and final consideration. And that is the priority of a devoted heart. In verse 40, we saw that Martha has a distracted heart. She's only giving half-hearted attention to Christ. And Jesus explains, that's because you're trying, to, you're trying to juggle too many things. You're trying to juggle too many priorities. Martha is anxious and troubled because she thought a lot of things were necessary, especially her efforts in that moment to prepare Jesus a huge feast. So listen to verses 41 to 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So again, Jesus wasn't condemning Martha for her efforts to prepare this amazing feast. In fact, the way he says her name twice, uh, that's no small detail here. 
It, that, that, that way of, of, of addressing someone is con- conveying a sense of, of tenderness in his response to her. So Jesus recognizes her distress. She's anxious and troubled, and the good intentions of her heart are beginning to sour. So to turn her distracted heart into a devoted heart, Jesus tells her to focus on the one thing necessary. Now, he doesn't explicitly name that one thing necessary. You wish he would just go on and and explicitly spell it out for us. But I think the context is clear enough. The one thing necessary is what her sister Mary chose. The one thing necessary in this case is not to serve Jesus this elaborate meal, but instead to be served by him a spiritual meal, to feast on God's word. So when, when Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good portion, that word portion often does refer in elsewhere in scripture to an actual meal. So Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, I know you think Mary is being negligent for not helping you prepare the meal, but she's actually feasting on another meal right at my feet. She's chosen the good portion, the good meal, which is not going to be taken away from her. And by that, he means that the food that Martha is preparing, as much as I'm sure he's going to enjoy it, his point is that that food is temporal. Her meal will satisfy your hunger today, but you're still going to be hungry again tomorrow. But the meal that Mary is enjoying, feasting on the word of God, feasting on the bread of life, well, that is going to satisfy you forever. That meal is never going to spoil. It'll never rot. It will never fade. It will never be taken away. The permanence of that better portion is all the more significant when you really consider the circumstances of this moment in the Gospel of Luke. Remember, Jesus was going on his way to Jerusalem, and he was going there to die. He was going there to be taken up on the cross. So with death impending, Jesus preferred Martha's undivided attention in this moment far more than her busied service. She was busy preparing an elaborate dinner, but considering the circumstances of what's going to happen to him soon, it would have been better for her just to prepare a simple meal so that she can spend more time at Jesus' feet to be in his presence. Because time is fleeting. He's going to the cross. Now, the story ends in in verse 42, seemingly without any conclusion. But the great thing is that we have more than just one gospel account. And this family does show up again in another gospel, in the gospel of John, chapter 11. Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus has been dead for four days. And by the time Jesus arrives once again in Bethany, now Martha, we're told, was likely busy at the moment because of her brother's funeral. And she was busy showing hospitality, as she always does, to all the guests who had come up from Jerusalem to to console her with their grief. But Martha, as we're going to see in John 11, has changed since her last encounter with Christ. Her priorities have shifted. They, They are different now. So this time, when she hears that Jesus is coming, she immediately leaves her kitchen. She leaves her guests. And we're told she's the first one to go out and to meet Jesus. Even before Mary, she's finding Jesus. 
Now her one thing necessary, now her top priority is to be with Jesus. She will drop anything to be with him. Her distracted heart, praise God, has has been transformed now into a devoted heart. So friends, as we consider how to apply this this story of Martha and Mary, what I I really want to be clear here, I want to be clear is that this story and, and, and the application, it's not about changing personalities, but about changing priorities. It's not about changing your personality, but about about changing your priority. I don't want you going away thinking that Mary's the better sister, that she's the better Christian, that Jesus loved uh, Mary, obviously, more than Martha. Of course, that's not the case. Jesus loved Mary and Martha, and he loved what both of those sisters had to bring to the table. Martha, hear me is not being told to be more like Mary or to serve exactly like her. She doesn't have to imitate Mary's personality, just Mary's priorities. Martha is always going to be Martha. She's always going to be more type A compared to her sister. She's always going to be more wired to serve, to get her hands busy, to get into things, to, get, to, to work hard, to get things done. And that's good. The church needs more Martha Christians who can get things done for the kingdom of God. So Jesus loves Martha Christians. But Martha Christians need to be reminded that when life gets crazy and when you're juggling so many responsibilities for the Lord, when you're so anxious and troubled by many things, remember the one thing necessary. It's not serving God, but enjoying God. That's what's necessary. That's the priority. Jesus said, Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so that means if you have been neglecting your spiritual meal because you're so busy and distracted trying to serve a literal meal to others, to try to be hospitable and to try to help others, you're not going to have the spiritual vitality that you're going to need to fulfill your service. Your heart is going to sour. Your strength is going to fail. The reality is that you need Jesus far more than he needs you. We think Jesus needs us. We think he, he, needs, he needs us you know, to, to, to serve him or to serve his church and so, and, and, and Martha Christians really think that, and that's why they're usually hesitant to take breaks in ministry out of fear that the church is going to fall apart if, if we're not actively present and serving. We tend to overestimate the importance of our own service, and that's why my church tells me to go on a sabbatical so I can learn that lesson, that I'm not indispensable, and that's a good lesson to learn. We fool ourselves into thinking, that we're irreplaceable and that what we do is so important and indispensable. But there really is only one thing necessary. And it's not anything that we do for God. It's what he's done for us. He sent his son to serve us, to minister to us as the suffering servant who we're told did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
The reality is that we need Jesus' ministry far more than he needs ours. We need his perfect life. We need his sin-atoning death. We need his death-defying resurrection. We need his daily intercession. We need Christ to return and to make all things new. We need to be served by Jesus vastly more than we need to serve him. I realize some of you here, maybe you're still seeking the faith. Maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian. And so that's why maybe you're not distracted with much Christian ministry because you're not yet a Christian. But this story of Martha and Mary, oh, it's still applicable to you. It still has a lot to say to you. Because if you do want your sins to be forgiven, if you do want to be made into a new person, if you do want to become a Christian, just know that you don't need to be anxious and troubled about doing many things in order to earn your salvation or to prove yourself worthy to God. The one and only thing necessary is the same thing in this story. And that's to sit under God's word. To sit under the preaching of his good news and to receive God's promises by faith. To trust in his savior, Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again for us. That's the one thing you need to hear. That's the one thing you need to believe. And for you Christians who are feeling convicted right now, feeling convicted to, to reprioritize some things in your life, to, to reprioritize that one thing necessary, I hope to encourage you. I, I know you lead a busy life. I, I know that a lot of busyness in your life is just inevitable. Being a student at that competitive school, man, it's, it's busy, I know. Or being employed in your particular line of work, that's just busy. Or being a parent having, and having little kids in the home, oh my goodness, that is, that is busy. Life is busy, I understand. You want to spend more time with Jesus. You want to be like Mary. You want to be able to sit at his feet and listen, but you have no idea how in the world you're going to make room in the busyness of your life. Which responsibilities are you going to put aside and ignore? Which duties are you just going to set aside and abandon? What are you going to do? How are you going to make room? Well, in Martha's case, in Martha's case, she was physically unable to do two things at once, to listen to Jesus in the living room, teaching the word, and at the same time, continue serving in the kitchen. She was encouraged, of course, to choose the better meal like her sister. But do you see, she had physical limitations, but friends, in our case, we don't. We don't have the same physical limitations. We don't have to drop everything just to be in the presence of Christ. We don't have to escape the busyness of our lives if we want to listen to his word. That's not what it's about. It's not about running away from things or dropping things, abandoning things. It's because Christ has poured out his Holy Spirit on all of his people. And so what that means is that we carry with us Wherever we go, in whatever busy activity we're in, we carry with us the presence of Christ in whatever we're doing, wherever we are. And, and the teachings of Christ, oh my, they, they are recorded for us now in Scripture, in Holy Scripture, making his words accessible and, and mobile. I mean, nowadays, 
you can even listen to his words through an app on your phone while you're on your commute, while you're doing the dishes, while you're just busy in life, doing your chores, running your errands, you can still have God's word coming to you and feeding you. I mean, that's, that's amazing, the context that we're in. We should be so grateful. So you don't have the same limitations as Martha. There is a way to carry out your daily chores and your daily tasks while still giving Jesus that necessary attention. And that's really just about being mindful to practice the presence of God. Being mindful of his presence wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Because even in the busyness of life, yes, friends, you can still choose to prioritize the good portion. Christ and his word. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. I thank you for this word, this familiar story to many of us. The way that it is both convicting us and encouraging us and comforting us to know that there is a way that we can lead our busy lives, but at the same time to prioritize your son Jesus and his word. Help us, Lord, as a community, as a church, to help and to support and to strengthen each other to do that very thing. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would raise up in this church believers who prioritize the good portion so that they are well fed and nourished to get busy for ministry for the kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, in this moment, as we respond in a song of worship, this is a time for, for prayer a time for uh, if you want to pray with someone, for someone to pray for you, to pray with you, this is the time to do so, to, to, to serve each other in this way. Uh, it's coming up to the front. There should be people available to pray for you. We just ask for you to refrain from having one man praying with one woman. Besides that, you can uh, you know, figure out different arrangements to come up uh, to pray with us uh, as we respond in worship.